Hello, my name is Michael, and I am, as always, joined by Lou. Say hello, Lou. Hello, Lou. <laughs> I was wondering when you were going to finally do that. And you hear the dark and scary music behind me because we have gathered together this week to tell you that if you believe the Bible, but you don't use the Bible, you don't believe the Bible. <laughs> Isn't it, though? It's profound and it's stupid, all at the same time. Now, for our starting point, we are going to kick off with something of vital importance. A Bible verse. And that Bible verse will come from 2 Peter chapter 1. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. What am I doing? I am reading the non-inspired version. Heavens to Murgatoid. Let's fix that real quick. I didn't realize my computer had reset automatically to the NIV. I was wondering why that didn't sound right. I was looking at mine. I was like, yeah, Lou's like, what have you done, you heretic? <laughs> Let's try that again. Same passage, but oh, we have the prophetic word made more sure. I like that better. To which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. But no Know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. And I know what you're thinking. You are sitting there thinking, didn't we already talk about the Bible? I thought we already did this. We did, but here's, see, there's a problem. It didn't sink in. No! And, and you know how I know it didn't sink in? I have Twitter. Which might be my first mistake, but <laughs> what were you thinking, man? But no, we are looking at the world around us and it's going, you got to be kidding me. So part of the goal of this ministry, I say part of the goal of this ministry, really the idea behind what we do with newsletter and really with this podcast is we want to take the big ideas of theology and put them in your back pocket. So when something juicy comes along into the public square, you can't expect us to ignore it. Not when there is so much historical, theological, biblical truth that could be applied to that situation. And that's what we have going on this week. So why go back and look at Second Peter 1 again? I'm glad you asked. That's an awesome question. Where does Peter say scripture comes from? It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from Lou. It doesn't come from you. You, like, you see what I did there? Yeah, yeah. It comes from what? The work of the Holy Spirit. Now, oh, we have a problem here, don't we? Who's the Holy Spirit? He is the who? Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Who is the Holy Spirit? Because we can't just say, hey, this comes from the Holy Spirit, and people go, what's the Holy Spirit? It's the third person of the Trinity. Wait a minute. Trinity. See, I told you we were going to use the big words. The third person of the Trinity, the triune Godhead, three persons, one essence of God. So when the third person of the Trinity does something, what we are saying is God has done something. So if Scripture is an act of the Holy Spirit, then by definition, Scripture is an act of God. Now, historically speaking, we have defined Scripture as inspired, inerrant, 
infallible, and sufficient. And the reason we have done that is because they all flow from one another and from our starting point. Here's what I mean. If the Holy Spirit has given you scripture, it has moved men to write, then by definition, the Holy Spirit is capable, because he is God, of communicating that which he means to communicate. So, the, the scriptures are inspired from God, breathed into people. They are not the final or sole source of the writing. God has the origination, so they are inspired. Because they have their origination in God, who cannot lie, cannot deny himself, and cannot deceive, they are inerrant. They are capable of communicating what they seek to communicate without error or fallacy. Because of that, they are infallible, meaning what Scripture teaches is true. Now, does that mean Scripture only records things that are true? No. No. No, it doesn't. It records people lying, deceiving, cheating, and stealing, and doing all sorts of vile, vile and wicked, vile and wicked things. But it communicates them truthfully. And what Scripture, now notice the definition we used when we started. Scripture is infallible because it does not contain falsehood in what it seeks to teach. Right, that's important because just because it is written in the pages of Scripture doesn't give you a legal uh, ability to do some of the horrible things that you see in there. Uh, for instance, it doesn't legislate slavery. Oh, well, you mean you mean all those guys using all those definitions in the in the in the nineteenth century were wrong? Uh, yes. Horribly wrong. <laughs> You're just no fun, Lou. You're being a buzzkill now. Stop that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, so it records people doing bad things. It records people lying, but it does not lie. So when it faithfully communicates the truth of script, uh, the truth of Christ, we can have faith in that. We can believe in that because being an origination of the Holy Spirit, it is communicating accurately. Now, with all of that said, we're, we kind of ran through that because I, it's one of those, I tell you that story so I can tell you this story. We get through all of that quickly because if all of that is true, and it is, then by definition, the scriptures are sufficient for what they seek to accomplish. What do the scriptures seek to accomplish? They seek to reveal your sin, seek to reveal the holiness of God. They seek to explain to you what must be done for you to be made the people of God so that you may have communion and fellowship with God. In other words, they explain your salvation and the means and access points by which you attain this salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, in case you were wondering. And therefore, <clears throat> excuse me. <coughs> and therefore, in, with all of that, God has then not left you unaware or unprepared. So he has not brought you to the precipice of his kingdom and then go, all right, guys, you go figure it out. Bye, I'm going to go sit down and you know, have a pina cloud on the beach and chill. He has then given you the remainder of scripture so that you may see what you must do to be righteous what your good works would be, how you please God, how you live with one another, how you live in a society, and so on and so forth. So if God is capable of doing all of this, bringing you to the point of salvation, carrying you through that point, and then persevering and preserving you throughout your life, did he leave anything out? No, no, it was total. Exactly. Yeah. Hence the reason we describe Scripture as sufficient. Yes. Do I need something else in order to live a holy, godly life other than the Bible? as far as knowledge is concerned? Um, no. Um, now, do I have to go stand out in an oak grove and be like, humana, 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 I need wisdom, hum... Absolutely not. <laughs> as a matter of fact, there's Bible you, verses that tell you not to do that. One of, the, one of the things that I was studying this week, uh, Romans 2, and, and, and how Paul talks about the people 
uh, the Gentile people who were not given the law that, and they were keeping the, the, the royal, you know, moral laws of God, proving that God's law was written on their hearts. So no, man doesn't need anything but the word of God to, to sufficiently guide and direct his life into truth. Now, there's a corollary. There's an understanding in logic called the law of inverse. In order for a proposition to be true, its inverse must be true as well. Otherwise, you have a faulty statement. Now, if Scripture has provided us everything we need for faith and practice, mm -hmm. and it has, then is there something outside of Scripture that is good for faith and practice? <laughs> Lou's giving me that quizzical look because he's like, I think you just asked me a stupid question, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll give you a hint. I did ask you a stupid question because if Scripture has given me everything, then there is nothing left out. Then anything else that I might find, by definition, is not in the sufficient everything provided category, which means should I accept it or reject it? You should reject it. I should reject it. But, 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 but I can't borrow from culture? You shouldn't. <laughs> Why not? It's well, so pretty they, and fun. I like to borrow from Christianity and say that it's, it's their worldview rather than a Christian worldview. But you we're, mean, we're on to that, though. Right? But, but you mean when I, when I cozy up to culture, they influence me more than I influence them? Is that what you're trying to tell me, Lou? Are you trying to tell me that I am a victim of the world? Because I always love being the victim. Okay. If you like <laughs> playing the victim, then you're the victim. See, this, this is the part we mess up on. See, when we steal from the world, when we borrow from their methodology, from their, um, I don't want to say their ecclesiology, but their, their way of living life, their way of doing community, we're not finding a better thing. We're not meeting them where they are. We're corrupting the good and perfect thing that God has given. And what we're saying is, no, 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 the methods that God has given me are not good. I need something else in order to reach those people. See, that was almost our scripture passage. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word, word of God. Or if you go with the alternate translation, depending on which um, Nestle Allen you want to read, the words concerning Christ. And where is the testimony to Christ found? It is found cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation, beginning to end in scripture. So if I want to reach a lost and dying world, I need to reach them with scripture, its teachings. In order for the Holy Spirit to move, the word of God must do it sharper than a two-edged sword work and cut the soul and spirit and provide that access. Well, I think it's the only place where you see a true anthropology. When you want to understand who man is, where they came from, what their nature was, and what it is today, you have to go to the scriptures. And if, nowhere else to find and if you're curious, you can see our episode on anthropology. Just start digging through the podcast, and you'll find it in there somewhere. Because while we've covered a lot of this, you're going, guys, guys, I, I listened. I'm a faithful listener. We just did this. I'm in. Uh, you'll see why we're redoing this in a second, because it ma this makes sense both in the world going back and in the world going forward. So we do want to start to make a little bit of a transition here, because apologetically, we want to apply how we got here, because remember, remember one of our golden rules. Ecclesiastes tells you that there is nothing new under the sun. Mm. <clears throat> I can't stop this. <coughs> Tis the season. And since there is nothing new under the sun, we made mention of this a few weeks ago, that really what culture at large wants to do is not give you a new problem. They want to give you, did God really say? They just, they repackage the story of the garden. And they try to present it to you anew. 
It's the same rotten egg. They just tried to put enough oil on it to make you think it was something yummy. It's not. Now, exactly. Now, conversely, culture at large does this in its borrowing from Scripture, as you've mentioned. And what's what culture tries to do is take from us, and then tell us that they have it better. And then when we aren't paying attention and we aren't being grounded, we then chase after the thing that they have, not realizing that they already stole it and they can't take it. We have it already because we have it in Christ. It cannot be taken or lost. So historically speaking, we are going to rewind. We're going to back it up. and How far are we going? Thankfully, those of you that aren't we don't have video because Lou is being tormented by my backing it up train motion with my arms, and he's very uncomfortable right now, which is why I'm, <laughs> which is why I'm continuing to do it. <laughs> We are backing up to the, uh, really the end of the Middle Ages and the rebirth of knowledge in humanity, otherwise known as the Renaissance. And if you're really hoity-toity, you have to put your pinky up and say the Renaissance. Renaissance. It's the Renaissance. It's a person named René, and they they made him into a sauce. It's the Renaissance. Got it. And if you say it like that, you'll sound really important, and people will think you're smart. (laughs) Or they'll get that twist, (laughs) twist in their... Exactly. Either way, either way, they'll think you're brilliant, or they'll look at you like a German shepherd. You know, they kind of cock their head back and forth, side to side, like you're an idiot. But either way, it's worth. It. All right, right. what's a Renaissance? Well, it's uh, it's 1700s, right? Um, well, depending 16, on who you want to ask, right? well, you're, there's a lot of people. That you you, you can really go back. I, you could pro- you can honestly historically go back to the 14th century. With you know Leonardo and Michelangelo and that crowd and and the re and the reason we call it rebirth is because you know we just came out of the dark ages. Which as a history major, I just, I just got to tell you, as someone who has a bachelor's degree in, in social studies education, the word dark ages just drives me insane. They were smart. They learned stuff. Hey, did you come up yeah. with the three field system? Huh? Huh? I don't you think so. See, they, well, they had the two-field system where you had a field, yeah. and you cut it in half, and you planted stuff on one half, and on the other half, you let it go fallow for a year, because otherwise you just fry the soil, planting your peas every year. Right, got it. Well, in the middle of the quote-unquote dark ages, some guy had a brilliant idea. Hey, we don't need a two-field system. We can have a three-field system. And what they discovered was crop rotation. So you could plant like your peas in one third, and then the second third was fallow, and then the third side you put the wheat. I don't, I don't remember the exact rotation. And, they, and you roll it because then the, the peas go where it was fallow the next year, and then the wheat is fallow, and Got then it. the wheat goes where the peas were. It, that, pretty smart. Yeah, they didn't have a book. Right. They, they didn't have you know Neil deGrasse Tyson coming down to tell them what was good on Twitter. They, they sat down and figured it out. These were smart people. It was just a dangerous time to live in, and if you made it to 40, you were an old man. You can't begrudge them these things. Right. <laughs> now, the literacy during that time was very, very low. Yeah, agreed, uh, agreed, but, you know, reading's overrated anyway, kids. Yeah, right. <laughs> but you're right, there's a lot of things that came out of that period um, that, that were very important, even used today. Yeah, we, we have art, literature, learning, all sorts of good stuff. Now, the reason why we have to rewind in history is because one of the children of the Renaissance really is the Protestant Reformation. So everything we're going to tell you from this point forward is all Martin Luther's fault. We're, just, we're blaming Luther. You dag-blasted Lutherans. It's all your fault. Yes. Or at least that's what we're going to claim because it can't possibly be my fault. 
I didn't do it. I wasn't there. No, Luther is a child of the Renaissance because he is a learned man. This increase in humanism, this uh, the idea of Advantis, back to the sources, learning from Augustine and, and Homer and Plato and Aristotle and the reading of the classics, you know, the old dead guys because they weren't stupid. That was the rebirth, and what does that eventually do? Luther, that learning expands. The universities go from just monasteries and monks to what? The common people. You see... Part of, the th- part of the thing with the Reformation, we made a deal a couple weeks ago. We talked about the, um, the printing press being a big part of this. Well, with a mass printing press, what, in order for that to be a worthwhile endeavor, what has to be true of the society at large? Does it do me any good to print a bunch of pamphlets for people who can't read? No. No. It no. Right? There, there, were, there, was, there was literacy, and, and, and that type of thing spurred even more literacy. Exactly. Because, because for the most part, there was an oral culture. If you wanted to hear the classics and, and all those dead guys, somebody had to come to your town and speak yeah. about them. The, the That's how you learn. Trade guilds, the rise of uh, uh, mercantilism, merchants traveling. In order to be a merchant, you had to read and write. you got to give a bill of sale. you got to make sure you're not being cheated. Right. So you, there were people in every station of life throughout Europe that could read, write, and understand these things. So it wouldn't be uncommon for, you know, you'd run something through Gutenberg's machine, and you would disperse it, and, and you go run to the dude who reads and be like, hey, ex- read this to me. Well, that's, that's, how, that's how these ideas spread, and that's why it was so uh, Luther's ideas were so much more effective is because of the way that they were transmission, yes. transmitting information. That's what Wycliffe, Huss, none of those guys had that. Luther, Calvin, well, Calvin's second generation, but Luther, Zwingli, these guys had that, and it became the, the means. Now, why do I blame Luther? Well, Luther unintentionally did a really bad thing. Which is actually a really good thing, if you can wrap your brain say, around that. It was that. a good thing. Yeah, it, it was a good thing and a bad thing all at once. This is the law of unintended consequences, right? Murphy had a day. By engaging in what he did and by being successful in what he did, Luther toppled the authority structure of society. By taking down the authority of the Catholic Church and placing the authority of Scripture into the hands of common people, the idea of an authoritarian structure slowly begins to crumble. Now, it took a few hundred years, but that crumbling eventually worked beyond the human realm and made its way northward to the heavenly realm. And the reduction of authority in the earthly realm led people to question and doubt the authority of the heavenly realm where God is seated. And that that toppling of authority has a trickle-down effect that we are still feeling the effects of even today. So what I mean by that is once I give you the scriptures, once I put them in your hand and you interpret them yourself, what more do you need? If they're sufficient for faith and practice, then what, what else do I need? See, this becomes the hubris and the vanity of humanity. See what I did there? You end up with a people that are rejecting history, rejecting framework, rejecting the old dead guys. Even after reading them, they're being rejected and turned aside. You end up with the birth of rationalism, the birth of secular humanism, Mm -hmm. which comes out of empiricism and naturalism, which are birthed in the 18th and then in the 19th centuries. Right. The empiricism is just a big word for I'll believe it if I can see it, if I can touch it, if I can feel it. it, it it's kind of like what Thomas was saying. 
<laughs> I'm yeah. not going to believe unless I see and put my hands in the wounds. Yeah. And if you'll notice, Thomas wasn't rebuked for that. That was not bad. Why? Because if you were Thomas, you just watched the man get killed. Yes. You know what I want to see? Yeah. I, I want to I see the body, or I want to see the body walking around if you want me to believe he's been resurrected. I mean, what Jesus does for Thomas isn't anything different than what he did for the other 11. It was just when he did it, or the other 10, if Judas was dead. When he did it for the other 10, Thomas was just out of the room. So that's not the part that's lost. The part that gets lost is when you take that skepticism and you move it to the hyper end of the scale. Um, I can't remember who said this, but it was one of my favorite quotes. You ever notice that skeptics are skeptical of everything but their skepticism? <laughs> All right. No, that's good. I've never heard that. See, if you're, gonna be a, if you're going to be a skeptic, you should be skeptical of who? Everything in yourself. Inclu- see, there it is. Yeah, and see, if you do that, the reason why they don't do that is because that almost dovetails back to a biblical idea. Well, they practice circular logic, too. I mean, they accuse Christians of circular logic because the Bible says so, but... Everyone does that. Well, yeah, so the question becomes, is the, is, the, is the circle vicious, and can it be justified or not? And what I mean when I say the reason they're not skeptical of themselves is because they would almost circle back to a biblical idea, is that's a starting point of Scripture. To doubt you, to realize that you're not good, that nothing good dwells in you, and to have your faith in the finished work that God has wrought, that you have not. God is good. Yes, yeah, so if I, by, by doubting myself, I actually return back to my origin of saying, I need a Savior. Mm rationalism and secular humanism cannot abide by I'm needing a savior. It abides by, no, I am, me and my brain. They actually borrow more from Aquinas in the the idea that the reason is not fallen than they do in a biblical mandate that reason is fallen. The noetic effect of the fall. Even your brain, the way you think, hence Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. mind. You must be born again, John 3. You have to be grounded in Christ and change the way you're thinking, Ephesians chapter 4. These are all the ideas that scripture gives you that give you the basis for learning new because you have to challenge the way you think about the world. And whenever you approach the world from a humanistic perspective, denying God and just seeking natural means, you're always going to get it wrong because you've ignored the first principle. Exactly, and work your way back. Anytime you don't, you failed. I see it as a huge rebellion over and over again, where mankind, they'll go through a period of time where there's faith in the land, and then something will happen historically, and then they'll they'll be reject they'll reject it all because they don't want anything to do with a God telling them how to live their lives. And there was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's exactly where I was going with this. That's exactly what <laughs> I'm happened reading Lou's mind, pray for me. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's elaborate for sure. Um, I, I mean, it, when, I, when I, well, I'm studying church history now, and all of these things, as you read through them, you're like, wow, things are so cyclical. You know, people keep making the same mistakes over and over again. When are we going to learn? You mean and, there's nothing new under the sun? No, there's definitely nothing new under the sun. And it's frightening. Now, you're going, okay, guys, how does this get me back to Second Peter? I don't understand where we're going with this. Hang, hang on. Inhale. <sighs> we're back. we're getting back. there. Come we're on. getting there. Let's, let's do this. All of these things are the seeds of the modern world. So what Luther took away was the objective universal standard. Papal authority. And, and what I mean by that is, all right, we'll use the baseball analogy. 
All right. When what Luther lost, and, and again, this is not Luther was like, I'm going to destroy the world. This is an unintended consequence of actually reclaiming biblical truth. There is a messy danger to you having the scriptures in your hand, but it is a worthwhile danger because it is good for your soul. So what Luther lost is the idea that the umpire sees the pitch and he calls it a strike. Why? Because he saw the pitch. No. See, in Luther's world, the umpire called it a strike because it is a strike. Or at least that's the idea. See, that's Luther's world. What he lost was, in that game, why was it a strike? This is what he lost. He lost, it was a, the umpire called it and it was a strike. It's a strike because the umpire called it a strike. He is the authority. I get it. I get where you're going with this, yeah. Now, what Luther gives us is the idea that, no, the umpire calls it a strike because it is a strike. Does it matter what the catcher thinks? Does it matter what the pitcher thinks? Does it matter what the batter thinks? The umpire originally calls it a strike, therefore it is. No, Luther says, no, you called it a strike because it is a strike. Now, do you see where this creates problems? Because the world Luther inhabits, the umpire is the authority. The catcher can't argue, the batter can't argue, the pitcher can't argue, the umpires in the dugout can't argue. What Luther gives you is, no, you're wrong. That ball is outside, and I can demonstrate that it's outside, and now we have a problem because now we're looking for an objective truth. Now, this is a modern world. We are seeking the objective truth. What we have done today is we have rejected the idea of an objective truth. And we have said, well, it's a strike. Why? Well, because the umpire thinks it's a strike. The catcher thinks it's a ball. Well, then for the catcher, it's a ball. Well, the batter thought it was a ball too. Well, then for the batter, it's a ball. But the umpire called it a strike. Well, for the umpire, it is a strike. Well, who's right? All of them. Oh, so it's subjective. That's the world you live in today. It's what we call a postmodern world. It's stupid, isn't it? Yes. Because at some point, the ball is or is not. Now, when we argue about what is or is not, we're actually engaging in the right argument. We're actually engaging in what did God say? Not did God say, but what did God say? Now, the danger of that is how easy is it to take what did God say and twist it to did God say? Yeah, there was, um, there was an interesting way that they studied back in the scholastic medieval times. Uh, they would study commentaries of commentaries rather than studying the actual scriptures for themselves. And that's kind of one of the things that was birthed out of the Renaissance is this renewed interest in the original sources and going back to the Greek and the Hebrew rather than reading the, the, the Latin from, you know, the Vulgate. It, it, was, it, was, a Bible, it was the Bible of the time. For over a thousand years. Right. Um, and Erasmus, he, he took the five different manuscripts that he had and he, he culminated them and collated them and chose the best readings and that's he got the Texas Receptus um, so I mean that's that's an interesting thing to, to, to realize is that uh, their idea of the truth what you're saying you know the umpire called it you know they had no idea what the truth was because they weren't really studying the scriptures for themselves at that point in time some of them and see and that's what the post-luther world brings right. is now we're actually dealing with the thing we're looking at the pitch right. we're not guessing we're not talking to the catcher we're not talking to the umpire we're not talking to the batter we're watching the video and going well there it is that's where it crossed we we're figuring it out for ourselves and that's right. good now this should still be where the christian abides and this is where we're going to turn the worm on you because remember what our goal is we give you the biblical idea we give you the bad background 
and we try to move it into the realm of what do we do with that today. Okay. All right, here's where we're starting to make that turn. <laughs> Someone didn't turn their phone off. <laughs> it's all good. Here's where we begin to make that turn, though. We should still be looking at the pitch. We should still be analyzing the video, checking the center field camera, the umpire's camera, the batter's camera. We should look at every camera camera that they can possibly give us to figure out what it is. The danger becomes when we stop looking at the film of the game and we start trying to figure it out from, say, the box score. Or we start trying to interview people in the crowd. Well, what did you think it was? Oh, I test I test I witness testimony in some of the worst. Well, it is, but not only that. Well, who cares what the guy in the third deck on the left field line saw? Yeah. He can't see it. Right. That all that ball went through was a blur. He has no idea. He's not the authority. He's not the thing. And the minute I go to him, I have abandoned my authority, and I have abandoned the sufficiency that it provides. So that's where our turn is. Because remember, if I believe in the Bible, but I do not use the Bible. I don't actually believe in the Bible. So if I believe that I can see where the pitch crossed the plate, but I'm interviewing people and stuck in traffic in the parking lot, I don't believe I can actually see where the pitch crossed the plate. I'm stuck doing other things. So what this works out in practically is when we say, I'm going to borrow from culture, or I'm going to use the world's methods, I'm going to use the world's music, I'm going to use the world's communication styles, I'm going to use the world's stories, what I'm really saying is, I don't think scripture can handle the job of reaching the world that I'm charged to reach. Now, we don't say it that way, but that's really what we're saying. And the reason this becomes an issue is because we're, we're having this in the Southern Baptist Convention. I mean, cards on the table. I, I pastor a Southern Baptist Convention church, not because I'm like, oh, a Southern Baptist or die because we all got Jesus and the rest of you are going to hell. No, it's <laughs> Lou is terrified again. Oh, here we go. No, I'm, I'm in a Southern Baptist church because I think as I read scripture, I think that as a denomination is the closest thing to biblical truth and understanding that we have in the uh, modern American world, in a nutshell. So that being said, we got a lot of problems. Oh, baby, we got a lot of problems. And the newest controversy is the, uh, the uh, plethora of speakers we are inviting to our annual pastor's conference, which occurs two days before the annual meeting of the convention. I mean, one of the guys we're inviting is a seeker-sensitive megachurch. We sing Michael Jackson and Beyonce songs on Sunday morning. They had a storm, storm trooper dance troupe for the worship service on a Sunday morning. Where have I been? I've never... Yeah, Lou's like, where have I been? They do Star Wars Church? Star Wars? Come on, now. What are we missing here? I mean, granted, I'm enjoying The Mandalorian and all, but I'm I'm not doing it on Sunday morning. Because I have a Gospel of John that we're preaching through. I have other things that are more important to talk about than the pop culture of the world. That's one guy. We're also bringing in a guy who comes from a denomination founded by a faith healer in the 20th century. No! Snake oil? Close. Oh, Similar, but you know, you know, maybe the snake has to bite you first. We'll we'll go with that one, and then we're bringing in a woman who is a spoken word artist who is the teaching pastor at her church. Apparently, no one's read First Timothy lately, like ever. Apparently, at all. Now, the point of the matter is not those people. 
It's the evangelical world at large that looks at them and says, I don't see what the problem is. That's an evangelical world that has denied the sufficiency of Scripture. Distinctions are being blurred. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, when, when you get away from the Scriptures and you start allowing things like culture to uh, influence you, um, the distinctions between living a, a holy biblical life um, tends to get blurred. And that's what ends up happening is what becomes the basis for my holy biblical life. See, catch that. A holy biblical life, yeah. by definition, should be based on what? The Bible. The, the biblical part, right? Yeah, yeah, so, right? So if I run to anything other than the biblical, then I'm no longer biblical. Right. So when I sit there and say, well, you know, we, we need an awesome dance team on Sunday morning. Why? Oh, is that, isn't that the only way that we can get kids to come into the church? Apparently. Hey, see, this, you, I, oh, I'm going to do this just for me. Lou, no, we don't use the dance team for the children. We have fire truck baptism, baptistries that shoot confetti for that. Oh. <laughs> okay, I haven't seen those yet. No, that's a thing. Okay. In the church of a former president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't been around yeah. much. <laughs> yeah. Lou's like, uh, <laughs> I'm, I, uh, can I go back to my rock? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah, no, see, this is the world we live in because this, what we're saying is, well, see, kids will be more comfortable if the baptistry is shaped like a fire truck. And if they're more comfortable, then they're more likely to get baptized. And then we shoot the confetti because we're celebrating and that encourages the other kids to be baptized. What could go wrong? Oh, my. Wow. I, I didn't realize that was going on, but that's, yeah, see, that's interesting. What we're, what we're saying is, no, the world has these awesome methods. We have these new contextualizations that we can use. Yes, that's a big thing in missions, and no, it's not a good idea. We have these awesome contextualizations we can use. What they're really saying is, rewind. Rewind 200 years. What they're really saying is, rationalism says that we evaluate God moving up. We evaluate scripture moving from our ideas to it. This comes out of the empiricism mindset, which comes out of naturalism, which says everything that you see, hear, feel, and touch, that's reality. Everything else beyond that, we don't worry about because we can't deal with that. Well, the majority of your Christian life actually operates outside of the material world. Your new birth, your renewed mind, your faithful walking, the majority of that actually occurs in the abstract. It occurs in your mind, your desires, in your hopes, dreams, fears, loves, all of those things. Those are the things that actually spur the material things that you do. Mm -hmm. It starts in the mind. It starts in the soul. It starts in the heart. And it moves itself outward. So to not start there in the ethereal, the things that are beyond the physical, and to only deal in the physical is to rewind and say, no. To literally say, did God really say? Because God told me I should lean on those things. I should renew my mind. I should transform my heart. I should circumcise myself in the spiritual, not necessarily in the physical. And I should walk anew based on the new creation that I am. See, when I walk in the ways of the world, I'm not walking as a new creation. I'm walking as the world walks and as the world deals. And this is the problem. Is too many churches for too many years have done this they have used the canned service where you can buy your sermon, you can buy your Sunday school material, you can buy your vacation Bible school, your backyard Bible club, you, whatever you want. You buy it out of a can, you open the box, you just sprinkle some children into it, and bam, we'll baptize 27 kids this weekend and everything will be awesome. Right. What's getting lost in that? 
Did we go back to a source at any point in any of that? It doesn't sound like it. I think what, what you have there is people who are nominal, right? You know, they're nominally Christian or whatever their denomination is because, they, I mean, they, they get baptized, but they don't really understand what their faith is. And they, well, I was born a, a, you know, a Baptist, Southern Baptist, or, you know, in my case, I was born a Roman Catholic. You know, it, I'm a Roman Catholic. Well, what does that teach? Well, I don't know. I don't know. You, I was born and baptized. It's in you, and I, I think you're exactly right. And this is the problem, though. Is that person being born again, renewing their mind, walking in newness? No, no. And, and I think sometimes that's the pastor's fault, too. The one Agreed. who's teaching. Agreed. Because if, 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 if the pastor is opening that can and sprinkling a little bit of the kids on it and wham, bam, you know, here we go. We got baptisms. Now, now, now we're counting lives that we've saved here. We're not really... We're not really you know, teaching them the principles of Scripture and what what it means to be born again. So, wh- so why do I have the problem with the snake oil salesman denomination? Because it's sub-biblical. It confuses sanctification, justification, and glorification and mashes it into one, and it promises a bill of goods to hurting, dying souls that it can't deliver. And that makes me mad right. because these people deserve to hear the truth unvarnished from the source of Scripture. And anything short of that mm-hmm. is a damnable offense. Why do I have a problem with dude with stormtrooper dance troops? Because that's not church. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to wear a suit and a tie. I haven't worn a suit to church in probably two years. It doesn't mean you have to have organ music and, and four-part harmonies, and that's all you can have, or you're going to hail. I didn't say any of that. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is, Borrowing from the culture's entertainment, which, let's be honest, that's what Star Wars is, the culture's entertainment, based on Hinduism, for that matter, and bringing that into the church is saying, well, God, I'm not sure your message can actually meet these people. I'm not sure your message is interesting enough. I mean, one of the most interesting sermons I ever saw in person was a guy who walked out on the stage and said, open up your Bible, here's the deal. Because the man was serious, and I knew it. From the minute he stepped on the platform, I knew he was serious. And I was in. And 45 minutes later, I was like, dang it, you just kicked the tar out of me. And now you get to go find you so you can say you're sorry or something. Or I got to say I'm sorry to somebody. I mean, the word is powerful mm-hmm. if you're the sheep. And that's the problem, mm. is when we borrow from the world, when we minimize the effects of Scripture, what we're really saying is we need some more goats. Goats aren't the goal of church. Sheep are. Building disciples, strengthening faithful people, preparing them to walk a holy life in a fallen world. That's what sheep do. And you can only get there by giving them what? The words concerning Christ. What's gone wrong? what God has set right, and how do I live and walk on in his power based on those things. That's why I think so many times that good Christians who aren't discipled properly, they get tied into pretzels when somebody comes up and begins to ask them questions because they don't have the answers because they've been to a service where there's stormtroopers dancing on the stage instead of the Bible being opened up and somebody preaching through the scriptures and, and imparting the information that God wanted his people to know. 
one of the reasons we go through books. We're going through books on Sunday morning for Sunday school. We're going through books on Sunday morning for worship. We're going through books on Wednesday evenings for men's Bible study. We're going through books in the small group study that I leave on Friday evenings. Why are we going through books in all of these? I had a friend of mine in seminary look at me one time, and one of our friends asked, well, what do I need to do when I want to talk about subject X, Y, or Z? And he looks at him straight in the face. He goes, it's in there. Just start, and you'll get to it eventually. Right. Right, they, they, they have this topical mindset. They want to teach on topics instead of going through expository preaching methods and going from one point of that book, the beginning, to the end. The topics are all in there. See, that's my point. And, and who will determine when they come up? I, I guess it's the Holy Spirit. It is. You know, it, it, and he's the one that's going to, uh, when that seed is planted, he's going to bring forth the increase. And, and, and you, you might have preached that same, through that same book a hundred times, but this time the Holy Spirit watered that seed in that person's life, and he began to understand the principles, something he was asking God. God, what does this mean? And then the preacher starts preaching through the book, and lo and behold, it's there. And it's there when they need it because right. who's in charge by the grace of providence? God yes. is. And he's arranging, orchestrating, and doing all of these things. I'll never forget the lesson. First sermon I ever preached in a church, dear, sweet, little old lady came up to me afterwards and said, well, I'm glad I was here this morning. I really needed to hear that. And I, to this day, I'm terrible with a compliment. So I was like, I don't know what to say. So I looked, well, I said, well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And she took one step away from me as I said that. And then she stopped and turned back and looked me right in the face. She goes, I said I needed to hear it. I didn't say I enjoyed it and walked off. And I was like, what, what did I mean? say? <laughs> I went running to my wife. What did I say that was so mean? And she's like, you didn't say anything. I'm like, well, she heard something because apparently I just like drop kicked this woman in the soul. <laughs> and she's like, well, you didn't do that. I'm like, oh, the Holy Spirit did it. Oh, wow. Yeah. I had never been more terrified in all my life. Like, I didn't do it. He did but I said it, but, but, but he did it. <gasps> awesome. Yeah, I was freaked out and impressed and, and, and awestruck and terrified all at the same time. And uh, from that point forward, I'm like, dude, the Holy Spirit is awesome at his job. Newsflash. I mean, like, like I did not need to be told that. Right. But at the same token, we do need to be told that. Like, yeah. Some what? of the worst sermons I've ever preached, I felt that were the worst. <laughs> I had people coming up and doing similar things, yes. telling me, wow, that was great. And I'm like, what did you hear? Like, who were you listening to? It wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, used to, I used to have this mindset going through, because going through books, you get, you'll get this, where there are weeks where it's like, oh, this is fun. Like, I preached the book of Genesis. And bizarrely enough, my favorite chapters in Genesis were when we got to Genesis 32 and you get to do Jacob wrestling with God. That's just so much fun to teach through and to, to be with an audience that's, you know, kind of having that give and take. Um, believe it or not, Genesis 38 was really fun. Um, Judah and Tamar and the realizations of the grace and mercy of God down through the ages and all of those things. But at the same time, you're like, all right, here's circumcision from Genesis 17. And people are, you know, all the guys in the, in the congregation are cringing every five minutes because you can't, you can't read three verses without saying the word circumcision. Oh, man. Yeah. And they're all freaking out and having this moment. But so you get into this mindset. It's like you feel like you're hitting a bunch of singles week after week. And you're like, eh, I got through the text. I don't feel like I did a good one. But then you realize people, people would come up to me in the midst of one of those streaks where it's like, I just feel like for a month I've just been surviving the sermon. Mm -hmm. And they're like, you know, you said something last week. And I'm like, no, I didn't. 
Mm-hmm. Wait, no, I did say that. Did I say that? No, I did. maybe I didn't say that. Maybe I did say that. Who cares? That's funny. They were moved. That's how it works. Too. And I didn't do it. Yeah. The Holy Spirit did it. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Now, when we abandon Scripture as our soul of authority for not just faith, but practice. When we abandon Scripture for our sole authority of practice, we abandon the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, who do I want working on the hearts and minds of my people? Me in my sheer brilliance or God in his providence? I, I would choose God in his providence every time. I mean, I, I have some deep Terrell Owens theology. I love me some me. But at the same time, I want God working on my people. Not me. I want them hearing the unvarnished truth from the word of God. I want them reading their Bibles as much as possible. We, we have a guy in church who shall remain nameless who has basically taken to that the last year of his life. And I mean, he's just started really just devouring scripture. And I literally had somebody come up to me the other day and go, man, he's really growing. Of course he is. You can't spend that much time thinking about the word, evaluating your life and your sinfulness before God and the majesty of the work of Christ and not grow as a disciple. You can't do it. And I'm watching it in real time with a man just flourishing in faith. Life, maybe not so much, but faith, yes. Now, what's more important? Faith, every time. Exactly. So, so, what, so what should we do? Well, here's, here's five ways you could be a better husband for the month of March. No! Yeah. G- give me the meat of Scripture that works on my soul. It, it whittles down the rough edges of my heart, and it pumps up the power of my mind so that I am transformed day by day into the image of Christ. Yeah. That's what we need, and that's what's being abandoned. And when we abandon that in the modern context, we're not innovative. We're not smart. We're 18th century naturalists. We're 18th and 17th century empiricists. We're 17th century rationalists and humanists. We're, we're, we're the same thing that humanity has been down through the ages, just in a shinier bow in a neater package. Mm-hmm. But it's the same lie. Christian, please don't believe the lie, but actually listen and evaluate what's going on in the world so that we are running it through the grid, not of my ideas, not of secular wisdom, but of biblical knowledge. That's the difference. All right. Did we miss anything? I think we covered it. Uh, Did we? That's frightening. All right. So let's recap. What have we learned today, children? Scripture is sufficient for Christian faith and practice. Duh, right? Right. We covered that. Our lives should be built upon the Word of God. Yeah, we covered that. And we can't claim to believe the Bible and leave it dusty on the shelf. That almost sounds like something that should be in a book cover, doesn't it? Mm. Ooh, there you go. There'll be Lou and I's next book, The Dusty Bible and Its Effects on Your Soul. (laughs) Doesn't that sound like something the Puritans would write? (laughs) (laughs) Dusty Bible. The lonely Christian, the dusty Bible, the empty soul. (laughs) Lou was like, you're dark. (laughs) Time to back up the train again, make Lou uncomfortable. (laughs) So, evaluate the world, but don't do it from the standing of the world. Look at scripture, understand how it applies based on what the Holy Spirit has gifted you, and then trust in its sufficiency. 
Now, if you want more of this lovely content that we are providing, uh, we encourage you to go to our website, practicaltheologyministries.com. There you can subscribe to our newsletter. You can follow us on Facebook, or you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter. You can send us questions, comments, complaints. Um, do I have anything else with a K? Communications, um, carrier pigeons. K, communications. <laughs> but the K sounds. Oh, oh, got it, got it, okay. There was a Q, questions, comments, complaints, <laughs> conundrums, oh, um, carrier pigeons, um, k-smoke signals. K-smoke signals. <laughs> K-mails. Uh, um, snail mail, yeah, all all those K things that you need to do to communicate. To, uh, see, communications. There's another one. I better stop before I fry something. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow out a gasket, and Lou's gonna have to drive me home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so check out all of those lovely resources. Like this podcast. Share it with your friends and neighbors. And above all, read your Bible. God bless.